welcome everybody to all of our campuses today, many throughout the Twin Cities. Glad you could join us. I want to, want to, I want to <laughs> welcome those of you who are watching online as well, wherever you might be watching around the country and world. Always glad you can join us. And school is finally out, and a lot of you are really thrilled about that. Some of you aren't so thrilled. But uh, congratulations to those of you who are graduating this year. Uh, way to go. When I, you know, when I was let out of school and I was a youngster, it was the most overjoyed feeling I, I would have for about three days, and I was bored stiff. And then my parents would send me to work, and that was a good thing, I guess. But anyway, we're in a great series called A Time for Everything, where the writer of Ecclesiastes just kind of cuts through all the cliches and confronts us with some honest questions. And he's trying to figure out if there's anything in life that would truly satisfy the human heart. And so he asks questions like this, you know, will stacks of money really satisfy the human soul? Really? Will it? Will pleasure or thrill-seeking fill this void that, that we all have inside? Will a certain possession, will a certain person satisfy the restlessness that most people feel from time to time? Will the perfect food Will the perfect wine or the co perfect drink or coffee finally do it for us? King Solomon keeps asking this question, what is it in this life that'll satisfy? You know, what's the magic number? Once we reach that number, then, then it's going to be great. I'll be satisfied. I'll have this thing figured out. What's the ultimate experience? You know, what's that car, food, drink, garden, possession, or body shape? If I just had that body shape, I'd be set. Really? You know, in, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, really, what does pleasure get you, honestly? Or education. That's good, but what does it really get you? Or houses or vineyards, especially when you just die someday and leave it all here for somebody else. Solomon says there's a meaninglessness to life, and then he uses this phrase, under the sun, this horizontal life under the sun when you don't consider God that's really bothersome, he says, and we're in this passage today, we're looking at, at what, he, what he's evaluating this thing called youth and the aging process. And all of us are aging, we're at different stages of life in, in the aging process. But years ago, author, humorist Irma Bombeck wrote an article called, You Look Wonderful is an Awful Phrase. She says, I have reached the age of you look wonderful. In my 20s, it was, hey, what's up? In my 40s, it was, how's it going these days? Now... It's you look wonderful. There, there's something about you look wonderful that I don't trust, she says. The greeting's the same whether I've rolled out of bed or rolled out of the recovery room. They always say, you look wonderful. When I ask compared to what, they give me a nervous laugh or a playful punch in the arm. Nobody ever explains what they mean by it. Why do I mistrust this compliment? Because I use it myself. Automatically, when I meet somebody older than 50, my lips say, you look wonderful, while my mind is saying, good grief, what happened to you? <laughs> she says, a few years ago, I was at a birthday party for a woman who was 97 years old. She looked like an inflatable doll that had sprung a leak. But without exception, everybody hugged her bony shoulder and said, you look wonderful. She looked terrible, quite honestly. Irma says, last year I attended a funeral and the same people who hugged me and said, you look wonderful, turned to the coffin and said, doesn't she look wonderful? <laughs> but what are the alternatives? You look interesting would work. You look like you're trying would do. You look better than I thought or expected would be fun. Anything but you look wonderful. 
You know, as I look out at all of you today, many of you look wonderful. <laughs> and some of you look like at least you're trying, but you're here, and I'm glad you're here today. But I reached the age of you look wonderful many years ago. And I think what Solomon says about being young and then growing old is right on the mark. And so as a summary to all he's learned so far, he starts off this way. Basically, in the final chapter, Ecclesiastes 12, he's, he's summarizing some things he's learning about life. He says, look, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and can no longer enjoy living. Now, if you're young here today, did you notice this phrase, when you grow old? Solomon sees that there's an excitement, there's this season of life right now if you're young that is so precious because you're young. He says, honor the creator in your youth because you're going to get old someday like your parents are old. And I can tell you, getting old is really sucky. It is. Now, you're not allowed to use that word around the household. You, you can use it when you get older. But <laughs> being young is such a great thing. The problem is when you're young, you don't realize how great it is to be young. And I know there's stresses and issues with being young. But Solomon says in chapter 11, verse 9, look what he says. He says, it's wonderful to be young. It's wonderful. Enjoy every minute of your youthfulness. Do everything you can. Take it all in. But with one caution. He says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget God. Honor him in your youth before you grow old. He's saying, look, it is wonderful to be young. Uh, I went over to my brother-in-law Ozzy's house to borrow a crowbar the other day, and it was the last day of school for seniors. There were eight, seven or eight seniors at his house playing basketball with the rim lowered, so it was a slam dunk con contest. Here these guys are. The middle guy, actually, in the maroon shirt is uh, Will Kornbaum. He's one of our youth leaders on staff over at White Bear. Great guy. But they were doing this slam dunk competition, and I'm telling you, it was, it was full contact. I mean, people getting slammed against the back, backboard, thrown to the ground. My brother-in-law, Oz, and I just watched this thing happen. And it was just amazing to watch these 18, 19-year-old kids, you know, fly through the air and throw it down. It was just so fun to watch. Great thing about these kids, number one in their life is their love for God. They do. I know these kids. They'll slam it in your face and knock you to the ground. Then they'll say a pray, prayer for you. You know, while you're lying there in pain. But Solomon says, it's so wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it, but don't forget your creator. Have fun. Do sports. Go on dates. But remember who God is. And think about how he wants you to live. Honor him in all you do. And then Solomon uses some phrases that describes what it's like to get older. And I'm just going to take a few of these. So he says in verse 2, he says, look, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him, and here he goes, before the sun, moon, and stars grow dim. Now what does that mean? 
Well, it means you can no longer see. Before the sun, moon, and stars grow dim. You lose your eyesight. Everything grows dim and blurry. Have you ever washed your hair with hand lotion? Because you couldn't read the label? I've done that at least three times. Doesn't work. Or sprayed something in your armpit that belongs on your feet? It doesn't work. But that's what happens when you grow old and you can't see stuff. Okay, verse 3. Before the keepers of the house tremble and strong men stoop. He's talking about, uh, you know, uh, house servants who were once young and strong. But now they tremble and shake because they're old. And they stoop. Old people shake and shrink. Did you know that? 20 years ago, I was 5 foot 10. I am 5 foot 8 and a half now. We shrink and we shake. Next, he says, the grinders cease because they are few. Now, what's that mean? Well, the grinders are your teeth. And you can no longer chew because they're so few. You start losing your teeth and, you know, the, the health of your, your teeth. The next phrase, he goes on, he says, before the doors to the street are closed. Now, what does this mean? It means there's no more nightlife because you're in bed already. The doors to the street are closed. I'm so embarrassed by this. My wife, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were headed up to bed, and as we passed by our front door, I noticed a young couple taking a walk outside in front of our house, and in disbelief, I said, people are still out walking around. And Laurie said, it's 7.45. Of course they're out still walking around. I mean, the sun was still high in the sky, and we're heading up to bed. We just laughed how pathetic we both were going to bed at court eight. You know, I watch people on TV at the Twins game at 9 o'clock, and I, I wonder, how can they stay awake? Do these people have jobs they have to go to in the morning? Do you ever wonder this? It's like, I don't, I don't get it. I guess they're younger than me. Look at this next phrase. When men rise up at the sun... <laughs> Sound of birds, now think of this, but all their songs grow dim. When you're old, you, you wake up early because you can't sleep with the birds, but you can't hear them sing because your hearing is shot. That's what it means. Okay, you can't sleep, but you can't hear either. Final phrase, and I'm just going to read this. It's, you know, I'll have to interpret it for you. When almond trees blossom and grasshoppers drag themselves along the ground and desire <laughs> is no longer stirred. I actually studied the Hebrew on this, but I'm going to give you the Bob Merritt paraphrase. <laughs> you know you're old when what's left of your hair turns white, when your body becomes slow and sore, and when sex becomes a chore. <laughs> Straight out of the Hebrew. Straight out of the Bible, I'm telling you. So this old married couple, they go up to bed. Can I say this with kids in the house here today? You ought to be in ele Elevate anyway. So anyway, this old married, married couple crawls up into the bed. You're taking your risk if you're young here. And the wife starts listing all her aches and pains, one after another. Her husband says, well, honey, I feel like a newborn baby. She says, really? He says, yes. I have no teeth. 
no hair, and I think I just wet my pajamas. <laughs> telling you, it's tough getting old. So what do you do? Solomon has three directives for us. Here's the first thing. Bring God with you, especially if you're young here today. Remember your creator now while you're young. Remember him before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed and the pulley is broken at the well. He's saying to every young person here today, don't wait to invite God into your life. Don't put it off. Don't waste another day, another month, another year or decade living life without the power and presence and wisdom of God in your life. Invite him into your decision making when you're young and all through life. Invite God into your relationships and your dating world and how you handle sex. Invite God into that. Don't buy into the cultural lie that tries to convince you that it doesn't matter what you believe in, that it doesn't matter where you go, what you do to your body, or who you do it with. I'm telling you, friends, if you are young here today especially, everything you do matters. Everything you do matters and will show up in your life for good or for bad somewhere down the road. Everything you do matters. And the writing is saying, take God with you so that you'll make the right choices in life that will set you up for a good life. Because if you disregard what God says about dating, money, work, and sex while you're young, you're going to regret it. So Solomon says, remember your creator before the silver cord of life snaps and the water jar is smashed against the well. In other words, before it's too late, and you smash your life up so badly you can't recover. I've seen this played out so many times. You know, people who push God aside when they're young, they end up making horrendous choices because they don't have God's wisdom in their life. And then they spend the next 20 to 30 years trying to put the pieces back together. And I'm telling you, friends, it's not, a way, it's not the way to go. If you're young, you can avoid that. If you're down the road a ways and that was kind of your past, you can put it together, but it's going to take some work. I've also seen young people at a very early age begin following Jesus Christ and you can just see the wisdom and the goodness and the protection of God enter their life. You can see it visibly. A couple months or just a month ago, campus pastor Don Grafham interviewed four high school seniors on our stage at the White Bear Campus. And I want our entire church to see this four-minute clip because here's an example of young people who have honored God through their youth. And just listen to this and let it sink in. Watch. A couple years ago, they started a Bible study in their schools, which is no small task in this day, and have had great success in making an impact in other kids' lives too, other students' lives. So... Uh, today we just want to take a little bit of time to get to know them a little bit more. And so I've given them an assignment, if it, a big assignment at that, uh, to come up with one word, 
that would really summarize what it is that they've learned through this church and in their faith journey really over the past 18, 19 years. And so why don't you guys start by introducing yourself, what activities you're involved in, and then what that word might be. Uh, my name is Trey Anderson. I go to White Bear Lake High School, and I help lead Fellowship of Christian Athletes with Peter over there, and my sports are football, basketball, and track. And I'd say the word that's really kind of hit home with me uh, this past year would have to be adversity, just because um, this summer, before our first football game, I tore my ACL in practice, and that was really disappointing, obviously, but just because um, I was hoping to play Division I football somewhere, but those dreams kind of went by the wayside. But um, at that time when I felt like I was at my weakest point, I think God's power really uh, showed itself through me, and people recognized that, and they saw the faith that I had, and it opened up some great opportunities to have conversations that were a lot more meaningful than just football, um, that were faith-based and made a bigger difference than I probably could have made playing football, so that was cool. That's cool. Hi, I'm Drew Larson. I play football and basketball for White Bear Lake, same as Trey, and I also help out on Sundays leading a small group of sixth graders Bible study group. In my word, I chose this foundation. And along with Trey, I also blew out my knee this summer in basketball, and I didn't know if I'd ever play high school sports again my senior year. And that was devastating to me, knowing that, you know, my dreams of playing sports was over. And the one thing that I really leaned on was the foundation that I built up in God over the last 19 years of my life. Like, knowing God personally, reading the Bible, praying, memorizing verses, that all gave me a sense of peace that God was always with me. And if I had to give you guys advice, my advice would be build up that foundation in God so that when a trial comes your way, you will know that God has a plan for your life and that his plan is a lot better than your plan. That's great. My name is Jackson Bell, and I was involved with football and basketball at Matamidi, and I also helped lead an FCA small group there. If I had to boil it down to one word, I'd probably say peace, just because that's one thing I've learned to have a lot of as I've grown up here. When I was younger, I'd worry about a lot of kind of trivial things that didn't matter in the big, big picture. But as I've grown older and kind of matured in my faith, I think I've come to understand better what it talks about in Philippians, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so just talking to God about whatever I'm anxious about, whatever I'm stressed about, has really helped me. I've really gotten his peace from that. And so going through high school and now having to make some more important decisions in my life, uh, it's nice just to be able to step back and have better perspective and then just have peace about whatever the effects might be uh, or results might be from any situation in my life. All right, so my name is Peter Walkler. Uh, like Trey said, um, I help lead a FCA huddle at White Bear Lake, and uh, my sports were hockey and tennis. So um, I think one word that's really been on my heart, especially lately, is urgency. So as high school comes to a close here, um, we're starting to realize stuff. And one thing I've noticed is that um, high school is kind of going to be like a snapshot of the rest of our lives. At least that's what I think so far. Because I remember some days um, I would think, man, another day of school. This is so slow. Like, why can't I just be done? Like, get through the day. Uh -huh. and, and then now but that I'm getting to the end of my senior year, it seems like <clears throat> everything's just gone like that. And I think that's how it's going to be like in, in uh, the real world. Um, and I'm sure some of you can attest to that. You just say, oh, if I can only just make through work today, if I can only make it to tomorrow. And then one day we're going to get to the end. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have any regrets when that happens. So we have to, have to, have to ask ourselves, what's our purpose here? And I think um, 
Christ gives us that purpose as Christians when he tells his disciples to be fishers of men. And I think we can follow that example, and I think that we need to break the string of monotony that can be our everyday lives and do something bold and urgent for Christ in our everyday lives. Unbelievable. There you go. These guys are our future leaders, and the reason why they're so strong in their character is because they took God with them at an early age. I'm so proud. So proud of these guys. They're the real men right there. Okay. Second directive that King Solomon gives us, because we're all growing older and aging, he says, look, make every day count. Love this. Make every day count. Anybody who's among the living has hope. That's us, by the way. <laughs> we're still alive. Okay. We have hope. For the living at least know, we still think, we know things, we at least know that we'll die, <laughs> that much we know. The dead know nothing, never again will they ever have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Translation is this, you might not like everything about your life right now, but at least you're alive. You're not dead. And if you're alive, make each day count for something. Do something noble today. Be kind to someone. Text your friend. Meet for lunch. Look at this next verse. Great verse. Go eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now. It's now. This day. That God favors what you do. One thing's for sure, friends. Now is your time. Right now. Whether you're 13, 24, or 78. Now is your time. This is your day. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today. I've noticed something very bothersome about me. Uh, I'm always looking down the road, always looking forward to a better day, to another time. Always thinking ahead to the next thing when I reach the goal. If I can just get past Monday, hate Monday. If I can just get past Christmas, all pastors got to get past Christmas. If I can just get past that, if I can get the trees planted, the next book written, then I'll be good. You know, maybe for you, if I can just get the ring or the acceptance letter or the granite countertops, then I'll start to live, then I'll be satisfied. But all the while we're looking forward to some future day, we can miss the opportunities of this day, right now. Solomon says, now's the time that God favors what you do. Man, enjoy your lunch today. Pet your dog. Hug your kids. Eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful. It's now that God favors what you do. Question. What one thing can all of us do this Monday that'll count for something good? This Monday. And then Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And it's mainly about relationships. Life, it really comes down to relationships with God and with other people. You know, maybe it's as simple as starting every day with prayer saying, God, I love you. I want to walk with you today. Lead me through this day. Love me. Help me to make a difference in somebody's life. 
Just inviting God to walk with you and use you throughout this day. Then maybe it's noticing someone who needs some help. Or maybe needs a smile or a kind word. Life is mainly about relationships, but I'm telling you, if we're always looking ahead, we can miss who God puts in our path on this day. I love Wanda Hadeen. I want you to meet her. She's 82. She makes every day count. She's a part of our church. Watch this. Every single day when I get up and can get out of bed and walk out to my kitchen, I am thanking God for that day. I'm Wanda Hadeen. I'm 82 years young. I was married for 58 years to Bill, and in 2011, he passed away with Alzheimer's. We had three children, a daughter and two sons. I have five grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. I read recently a quote that said, unless death intervenes, old age is inevitable. However, living old is a choice, and I choose to not live old. I worked full-time most of my life, and when retirement age came, I knew good and well I wasn't gonna be able to sit around and watch TV all day. So, I made sure that I had jobs to do and volunteer opportunities. Now I work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at a job with my daughter, she's my boss, in a job where I have a new thing to do almost every week, it seems like, and I love it. I never wanna quit learning as long as I'm able to do that. On Tuesday, I'm involved in Encompass at our church, which is a senior Bible study group. Then on Thursday afternoons, I'm at the nursing home in White Bear Lake. Then Thursday night, twice a month, I'm a co-leader with our small group. And I volunteer weekends at Spring Lake Park. And I do that because I like to be active. I love to be with people. I think when you help others out, it also helps you. One of my very favorite things to do is to write out notes and send cards to people. I think everybody needs encouragement. I know it's this day and age, everybody sends emails, texts, or whatever those other things are, Twitter or whatever. And I can do that too, I do that sometimes. But I think people like to get a real piece of mail that they can open, go to the post office, and it's not junk mail, there's something else there. I also like hugs and I like to give hugs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have learned that the most important thing in life is friends, family, and even people that we don't hardly know, people that we can just walk across the room and talk to. And I don't think I'll ever get old enough to be to the place where there's nothing that I can do to be of service to God and to people. She's great. Juan is my hero. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the reason she's so joyful and full of life is Wanda makes every single day count. Every single day is a gift. She doesn't look past. She looks for those opportunities each and every day. So third thing, we're all getting old, so make sure, make sure you're ready for your final day. Are you ready? No matter how old you are, are you ready for your final day? 
I think there's only one thing more foolish than not making each day count, and that's failing to plan for your final day. Toward the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gets real clear about this, about the finality of life, what it means for us. He says in chapter 9, 12, he says, nobody knows when their hour will come. You don't, I don't, but it's coming. Nobody knows when their day will come. So work hard, raise your family, treat people well, make every day count, but whatever you do, make sure you're ready for your final day. Uh, For many years, I've wanted a third stall garage. Would fill my life, happiness. And for 25 years, you know, we've just banged the cars next to each other, and it's just been a struggle. Um, But this summer, we decided we're going to get that third car garage. So after they dug the hole, they send over a guy named Dave to do the cement work and block work. And Dave is 73 years old and has been laying block for 40 years. He's 5'5", weighs 120 but he throws block around like he's six foot 220. He's amazing. When I asked him why he's still working, he says, because I love it. I love it. He winters with his wife in Phoenix, where he rides his bicycle 17 miles one way to McDonald's for a slider, he says. <laughs> 17 miles back. 34 miles round trip every other day. 73. I love guys like this. Still working, still trying to make each day count. So I dropped down into the hole with Dave to bail out some rainwater because it had been raining and <clears throat> decided to you know, help him out that way. And I, I began helping him a little bit, loading his equipment and just helping around the hole there. And after a bit, he began warming up to who I was. And so he asked that dreaded question. So what do you do for a living? I said, well... And I said, I'm a pastor, and he, without even looking at me, he, he laid another brick, kept working. He said, what church? I said, Eagle Brook. He stopped. He looked right through me. He said, are you? You're not. Are you Bob Merritt? I said, I am. Quoting now, he said, man, you're a hell of a speaker. (laughs) It's a quote. It's a quote. He said, I've been to your church. He says, my daughters go to your church. He looked at me again, shook his head, and he said, they're not going to believe this. i got to call them and tell them. (laughs) Dave said that he wasn't much for religion, didn't like religion. I said, neither do I. I don't like religion. But as I watched him work down in that hole, I just had this moment. I was just watching him. And I I thought, I love this guy. And I know God loves him. And I know God wants Dave in heaven someday. I don't want him to miss it. So I helped him with his stuff. I tried to show him I was a normal guy. And I don't know what conversation might come next. But I think that's where God wanted me to be last Friday, down in the hole with Dave. I think both of us made that day count. And Dave is right, by the way. God does not want a religion. God wants a relationship. 
with every person here. It's available to every human being. A relationship with God that comes through faith in Jesus. A relationship that removes our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins. It's a relationship that fills the emptiness that every human soul has, that paves the way to heaven when we die. Friends, it's not about a religion. It's not about crossing the T's and dotting the I's and doing the, doing the thing. It's about a relationship with the living God who loves us and sent his son Jesus to redeem us. Solomon is beginning to understand this. He says, look, God has put eternity inside every human heart. God has put this longing for eternity for him, inside every human heart. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is driving to this point that at some point in life, you begin to realize there is this void inside. There is this ache, this restlessness that we all have, a longing in our heart for something more. And so we try to find ways to satisfy that emptiness. We try to fill it with things like money and pleasure and travel and houses and possessions and there's nothing wrong with those things, by the way. I've got a third stall garage, so there's nothing wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that, but then we get some of that stuff, and we realize we're still not satisfied. And so we think, maybe if I get more of all of that, maybe that'll do it for me. Maybe even cross-relational and moral boundaries, because what I have just isn't enough. And we end up feeling even more empty and more broken and more messed up than we did when we started. And God, in his infinite mercy, he waits. He says, when you're done chasing it, when you're done trying to fill your life with every other thing under the sun, I'll be there. I can fill your life, God says. I can fill it with my forgiveness and my healing. And you can, you can go through this world and not feel alone anymore if you open your heart and allow me to fill it with my spirit. It doesn't come, friends, through more stuff. It doesn't come through more possessions or pleasure. And it doesn't come through a religion. It comes through this relationship that is available to every human being with God through faith in Christ. Are you ready for that final day? But don't wait for the final day. Let God fill you this day. So at all campuses, I want to pray a final prayer, and you can just stay seated for two more minutes. But just receive this prayer. And if you're sitting in a seat today and you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I'm ready for that day. This is your prayer. This is your moment. So let me lead you. Father, thank you so much. For your love for us, thank you that you want to fill our lives with your goodness and your peace and your love and your sense of security and wholeness. 
And so, God, if there are any here today who need you, need your son Jesus to receive forgiveness and new life, this is their prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going the distance in my life to pay for my sins. And so right now, right here, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. Please fill me. I've tried to fill my soul with every other thing under the sun, and I still feel empty. So Jesus, right now, right here, will you fill me? Come into my life, clean me up, forgive my sins, make me new. Right now, right here, I become a follower of yours. Maybe there are some here who have been Christians for a while, but we've gotten our priorities screwed up. Tried to fill our lives with all kinds of stuff under the sun. And maybe it's time in a brief prayer here to put Jesus Christ back at the center of your life. So Lord, we want to do that. We want to remember that you're first. Will you help us reorder our world? Will you help us figure out our marriage and our money and our possessions and where all that belongs? Be Lord over all of it. So Jesus, right now, for all of us, touch us. Heal us where we need it. Surround us with your love and courage as we try to live in this world. Help us to honor you this day and every day. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, we'd like some more prayer. There are people down front at every campus that are willing to pray with you. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Thanks for coming out today.